the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Week 10 College Football Betting Preview presented by BetMGM. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Got a couple massive SEC games on the slate. We'll have massive implications for not only the SEC, but the college football playoff picture. You got a name for this weekend? Is it is it moving yeah. Saturday? So no, I, I, what do you got? It's SEC championship semifinal week. <laughs> I mean, essentially, yeah. that's what this is, right? You're going to make the SEC championship game. You better win this weekend. We will get to both of those games in the marquee games. We will get to some trash, as always. And, uh, you know, we'll go through our favorite bets, favorite underdogs, favorite favorites. You know the drill. Get to some situational spots and – Friday Night Lights here in just a second. But first, I do want to remind all of our listeners that the NBA recently returned. That means lifelong NBA fanatics like myself can dive into Action Network's new and improved NBA podcast buckets every weekday this NBA season. So if you're into betting the NBA, check out the Buckets podcast wherever you like to listen. All right, let's get right into Friday Night Lights. Pretty ugly slate, to be honest. There's four games. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Duke at Boston College, UMass at UConn, the X Toilet Bowl. It's no longer the Toilet Bowl because UConn is pretty good. It might be headed to a bowl. They're over a two touchdown favorite here. Thing to keep in mind at that game: very low total, two heavy, heavy rush teams. UMass just—I mean—they're can't throw the ball at all. Completely inept. UTEP at Rice and Oregon State at Washington. I will mention Duke at BC. It doesn't look like Phil Jerkovich is going to go. Look, Jeff Halfley, their head coach, said he's had enough reps in this offense that if he's healthy enough to go, he will. But short week, didn't practice yesterday. I doubt he will go. That means Emmett Moorhead would start. He's a three-star kid out of Virginia. He's the 30th-ranked quarterback in Virginia. Uh, not going to go well for a Boston College offensive line. There's a reason Duke's a nine-point favorite on the road. They've had eight different offensive line combos. They only average 2.4 yards per carry. Only Texas State is worse. So they can't run it. They can't protect. Now you're going to have this, like, three-star freshman at quarterback. I, I can't lay it with Duke, but I'm certainly not playing BC. Let's start up in the Northeast. You got anything on either of those two games, Duke well, at BC or UMass at UConn? Yeah, the number is just completely inflated, right? So if Jerkovic and I've I've looked at other people that have said this number would be one, two, or three with 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 Phil Jerkovic in there, right? Sure. And yeah. so you have to ask yourself, like, is this is he worth this many points to this Duke team? Uh, and I think the number is completely inflated, and you're starting to see buyback. That's why the ten has come down to nine and a half. Uh, and the BC rush defense has graded out actually pretty well. They didn't allow 150 on the ground to UConn, Wake, or Clemson. 
Uh, and that's really all the Duke does on offense. So Duke has no pass explosiveness. Their strength is the rushing game. BC's defense, that's at least the one thing that they can kind of give resistance to. So I would say it's BC or nothing. I just have to get comfortable with taking <laughs> taking them because you lose to UConn by 10 points, right? I mean, whew, that's tough to, it's yeah, tough to yeah. take that team the next week. My, I mean, Phil Jerkovich had pro potential, and this offense is one of the worst in all power five with a quarterback that's competent. My problem is why I, I I don't think I could get to BC here while inflated. I mean, maybe it is like a seven to eight point drop off. I don't know. The problem is if you start this backup, who's not highly rated, he is significantly worse talent than jerk pitch and experience. He can't rely on the run game. Like BC cannot run the ball at all. 2.4 yards per carry. So like, there's nothing that he can go to and all right, let's, let's go out and let's run the ball here and give the kid a break. Like they have to throw it to have any shot of moving the ball, which makes it tough. Uh, anything in the X toilet bowl, UMass UConn. Yeah. I mean, the total is steaming down here. UMass is dead last in offensive finishing drives. Like I think they recently just took that number away from a couple of other teams and, and listen, the UConn offense doesn't, they don't gain a lot of first downs, but they're really heavy in explosives and they're getting more healthy, right? Wide receiver, Keelan Marion, Cam Ross, and then running back Devonte Houston is supposed to be available this weekend. So a lot of pieces coming back for UConn and that's going to help out quarterback Zion Turner, who has 180 scramble yards on the year. That's one of the big reasons they've been able to get out of passing downs, get first downs and continue drives. So I project this game like in the thirties, but I have UConn scoring 31 points. So I took under 41 on open, but right now I think I would take UConn over, over 27 and a half, 27, 27 and a half is out there. There's no, nothing saying this UMass defense can stop UConn from doing what they want to do. And they're getting healthier on offense. Oh, minor nation catching three and a half at rice rice off of a bad loss to some, not to me uh, uh, against Charlotte minor nation. Also coming off of a loss, much to the chagrin of our producer, and Mitchell left a wonderful voicemail on that game. Uh, anything here? I took Rice on open by two and a half. I've got it projected at six, so I would still take it right here. Uh, you know, a lot of problems with UTEP, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They can't do anything with coverage. And like I said about UConn being an explosive offense, that applies to Rice. Believe it or not, they are top 35 rush and pass explosiveness that's expected points uh, a little bit surprising because they don't really move the chains they wait on the big play uh so i, I like rice in this up to six the one lean i had in this game was under uh and then finally oregon state at washington probably the most intriguing game of the night i actually look i mean washington is out to a i'm interested in this game for washington win total perspective they're six and two i think i i think you have it too over seven and a half they get colorado at home next week or two weeks but they're at oregon which is probably a loss and then they have like a coin flip against washington state to end the year getting this game will guarantee the win total for what it's worth they're four and a half point favorites here i could only look at oregon state and the reason is is washington's defense is awful so it's hard to lay any number with them everyone could score on them although there's weather here which is worth noting if you look at oregon state's defense they're actually pretty good against the pass struggle a bit against the run at times, but Washington doesn't really run the ball. And if there's weather here, does that, who does that favor? There could be rain and that's why the total has come down as well. But I just can't, I can't ever get behind laying points with this Washington team. Offense is great, but their defense just can't get stopped. So yeah, in Oregon state is a competent offense. So what do you see here? 
Yeah, this is an overplay all the way. I know the total is dropping. I think it opened 60 at some book on Sunday, and now it's down to 54. Uh, we've crossed 55, the key. Obviously, you know, 52 being the next number, we'll see if it gets that far. I want the over in this game, and I know it's 50% chance of light rain. I know it's 15-mile-an-hour sustained wins. But at the same time, I'm not worried about wins with Michael Penix's arm at all. I mean, he's got a hose. It's just going to rip through whatever that is, you know, whatever the wind is going to be. Now, Oregon State, on the other hand, Chance Nolan was limited practicing this week with a concussion from week five. He might return. That would be a big upgrade over Ben Gulbertson. I mean, he's been tepid in passing attempts, no mobility to scramble. That kind of changes with Chance Nolan. And, you know, Washington's off a bye week here uh, where they had the, the lowest offensive score they've had at home was 29 points against Michigan State. And I don't see any reason that Penix is not adding to his, you know, 22 to 4 TD to INT. His turnover worthy play rate is 1.1%. And I know a lot is going to be made about the weather, but if you can avoid that, like if the wind is not going to, if the wind's going to play a factor with kicking and the wind usually plays effect with quarterbacks that don't have very strong arms, I don't see that being an issue with Washington because if they, because Caleb DeBoer came out and said, we will have high percentage throws that will get the ball into our best targets. And what that tells me is this Oregon State defense, which has zero pass rush whatsoever, uh, is not going to be able to cut the way that Washington's going to cut. I think there could be a lot of offensive scores here. Slippery football does not mean under football. You know, I mean, sometimes it's an advantage of the offense if they're the ones that have the ones that can work in space. So I, I don't see how the, you know, the, I see the under steaming down, but I, I'm going to take the over here. And at a minimum, I'm going to take Washington on their team total over because the Oregon State defense, I don't think is going to be able to stop them. And for what it's worth, if you're a trends person, Every game at home this year, Washington's gone over. Every game Oregon State's been on the road this year has been over. So uh, the over is the look. All right, let's move on to our next segment, Look Ahead or Look Away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? We look at some situational spots. What happened last week? What's going to happen next week? And, you know, ultimately it comes down to the number, but these things can matter, especially when you're dealing with college kids and then coaching staffs that you know, may want to take their foot off the gas, may not have game planned as much, may not want to show as much. So let's start with your boys, Arkansas, who has LSU on deck. Arkansas is really trending up here. As you said, Sammy Covers is back playing Liberty. They're hosting Liberty. They're uh, this line is steamed up. Total is steamed down. Arkansas is now 14 half point favorite yeah. over on, under down to 61. Main reason is the quarterback news in Liberty. Uh, Hugh Free said that Jonathan Bennett has been sick, has the flu. He's their third string quarterback. He was pretty good against BYU somehow, but he's not very good. But he's probably not going to play. And because it looks like their fourth string quarterback, has been taking all of the reps. So that's obviously not a good sign for the Liberty offense. And uh, like we said, Arkansas has been trending up. So I'm not surprised that Arkansas took money here, especially with this news. Hugh Freeze has been a monster against the spread for what it's worth. This might not be the spot. Uh, how's How are your boys going to play this? And do you think that they win this comfortably? Woo pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. 
there's a very friendly feeling between the coaching staffs here. Like Hugh Freeze and Barry Odom, they're friends off the field. There are two, there's an analyst and an assistant on the offensive staff of Liberty. They used to coach with and under Sam Pittman. So both coaching staffs are talking in the media early in this week about the relationships that they have off the field with the other team. Hugh Freeze has talked about how every time he's gone to Arkansas with Ole Miss, that he's been blown out. They've never, he's never been able to figure out how to travel there and all these other things and trying to prepare the kids for the Wu Pig Sui and all that stuff. So with Liberty's quarterback situation, Arkansas is a buy at 14, but it was only a half unit money that I kind of pushed across. I also did an Arkansas team total over and I would do a Liberty team total under based on this quarterback news. I don't expect Sammy covers to blow this team out though. I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of starters in the fourth quarter if this is a 21 or 28 point game just because of the relationship with the Liberty coaches. But also, Arkansas has got to get healthy for these final few games, right? I mean, LSU coming up. We we got some really big games coming up. And Liberty's defense, the reason why I like Arkansas to cover the 14, Liberty's defense is top 10 in success rate. They have all of these great metrics on defense against the pass, against the rush. Havoc is fourth in the nation. But if you look at the list of offenses that they've gone up against, Gardner Webb, UMass, Old Dominion, Akron. Uh, that's a strength of schedule like 87th. So uh, I think Arkansas is the right play. You stop at 14. I think the Liberty team total is definitely on the play on the under because of the quarterback situation. Maybe also looking based on what you said, based on what I'm thinking, a second half under. Say Arkansas yeah. is up yep. and puts up a bunch of points. This might be a second half under play. All right, let's uh, stay with another odd non-conference matchup. And uh, James Madison traveling to Louisville. I think this is the worst situational spot of the day. Louisville off that, you know, they've won three straight, kind of turned their season around off that upset win against Wake Forest, where they benefited from eight turnovers. They have Clemson on deck. And then, what, NC State and then Kentucky. Now they welcome in a James Madison team that's off of a bye after two straight losses. One of those losses is pretty fluky. The other one, they didn't have their starting quarterback, Tan Santeo. Probably the most wrong I've been about anything preseason was him. He has been amazing. He leads the country in big-time throw rate. I, the offense has been humming with him in there. I, I like James Madison because I'm assuming Santeo is going to play. After the bye week, went through pregame warm-ups two weeks ago. When you look at this from a matchup perspective, James Madison leads the nation in rush defense, like EPA per rush, rush success rate, yards per carry allowed. That's important against Louisville, rush first offense. So this is a tough spot. If Billy Atkins is playing quarterback for James Madison, I would not like this. But I am under the assumption that Santeo is going to play. And in that case, I love the seven and a half. If, you know, there's still risk that he doesn't play. If that's the case, then so be it. Uh, might be uh, up against it there. But yeah, I like JMU. Give me the Dukes here. Great situational spot. Yeah, spoiler alert uh, for later on in the show, uh, my under my underdog parlay is going to involve this team, so I will save my comments for the end of the podcast. All right, let's move on to another one here. Tulane, who has UCF on deck. Tulane in the running for the American. I know some of our friends out there, have, and you too, I think Tulane tickets. I, I told our one of our colleagues to buy Tulane 100 to 1. Do I have a Tulane 100 to 1? No, of course not. <laughs> so, but Tulane... My seven and a half point favorite here visiting Tulsa. This is an interesting game. This is, I think Tulsa's win total is now locked under. Um, I have the two lane win total over and the Tulsa 
win total under, which both uh, look like they were good bets. Last year, Tulsa won this game, one of the worst beats I had all year. The, you know, so I don't think Tulane's going to be looking ahead because they've, what I think Tulane, Tulsa's won six straight in this series, including 2020 when Zayden Collins had a pick six in overtime and 2021 when they won in overtime because Tulane missed like a 20-yard field goal to win the game. So I think they'll be ready here. The interesting handicap for me is who's going to be quarterback for Tulsa. I don't know. Davis Brin left last game with an injury. It said that if he's not ready, they're comfortable with the other kid who's more of a runner. But Tulane's run D is unbelievable. They play these, you know, they'll have three defensive linemen, tight front. They really take away anything up the middle. They have really great run fits on the outside. You simulated pressures on third down. It's an awesome defense. I love to watch them. Um, one of the best in the group of five. You can't really run on them. The other thing, but they don't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They're like bottom 10 adjusted sack rate, which would be good for Bryn because Bryn's, he's been sacked more times than any quarterback that's not on Akron in the country. He's also been struggling of late, but I would think that being able to throw the ball is the way you would have to attack this two-lane defense. So interesting dynamic here with the uncertainty at quarterback with Tulsa right in your backyard. What do you see here? Yeah, I mean, from all indications I've seen, Davis Brin's going to be out for a while, just not just this weekend. It's going to be a couple weeks, and, and Braylon Braxton's going to take over. And like we said on the new BCS, that kind of changes the dynamic of what Tulsa football is going to be, more of a dual threat ground. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of a ground game more than what Davis Brin has been. <laughs> Poor Davis Brin. He's the second most sacked quarterback in all of FBS. The only person that's beat him out is DJ Irons of Akron. So uh, he's pretty beat up. And 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 I think having Braxton back there is not really a bad idea if he can definitely get some more scrambles in there. Um, you know, the strength of the two-lane defense is in coverage. It's not rushing the passer. So, uh, you know, each of these offenses have a very large advantage in finishing drives over the defense. So if any of these possessions by Tulane or Tulsa get past the 40-yard line, you're going to see more touchdowns than you are field goals. And so I project this number at three and 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 at 57, which is pretty in line with where the market is on the total. So I, I certainly think that there's reason that you should buy Tulsa here just for the spot. But I lean Tulsa with Braylon Braxton on the over, considering Tulsa's injury issues in the secondary. That's what has plagued them the last two weeks is that teams have been able to throw on them deep. I think Tulane's going to have success here. I think Tulsa's going to have success on the ground, and I think this leads to an over. No reason to buy it until we're around key numbers of 55 and 59. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for the kid uh, if he starts for Tulsa based on this two-lane defense. It is not an easy defense to go up against. Uh, very complex. I love some of the stuff they're running. But we just talked about Tulane as UCF. UCF, after a emotional huge win over Cincinnati at home, travels to Memphis, three-and-a-half-point favorite here. What do you see here? This is a Memphis play all the way. You just have to, <laughs> I just haven't thrown any money down yet. I, I wouldn't mind getting a four, uh, nothing, you know, not acting on three and a half, but it looks like the market might go the other way. The line has dropped with John Reese Plumley's injury. He's in concussion protocol. Uh, you know, and if he doesn't go, it's going to be Mikey Keene. <laughs> Memphis is a top 50 team when it comes to coverage. So if Mikey Keene is the starter here, I, it's not, I don't think it's going to bode very well. He does not have good lifetime numbers that convince me that UCF is going to be able to roll. With Houston's strength of schedule and ease for the rest of the month, this literally could be a knockout game for UCF. So, you know, if John Reese Plumley ends up playing, I don't know how that concussion protocol is going to go. They can't lose this game. They will p 
potentially be out of the running for the AAC championship game. Memphis is balanced, but the strength is Seth Hennigan's passing. He's 15 to 5 TD to INT, but he's had plenty of turnover worthy plays. He does not mind trying to thread the needle through a hole. And UCF has allowed opponent passing to march the field and get into scoring opportunities. Cincy, East Carolina, SMU, Georgia Tech, they've all had over 250 yards passing. Georgia Tech had over 300 yards passing. Even Temple almost cleared the 250 mark in the air. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, success here out of Seth Hennigan in Memphis. It's a, it's a big uh, underdog spot, and I think we may be playing it on the money line round robin on Saturday. Yeah, I love Memphis here. Memphis, their defense, top 40 rush success rate, top 30 EPA per rush. That's This reminds me, this is almost exactly like the ECU game. ECU, really good against the run. That's what you need to do against UCF, whether it's Keen or Plumlee, very limited passing the ball and their passing comes off of the run. ECU shut down their run. I think Memphis can do the same here. And this is just a great spot for Memphis. Cincy off of a big emotional win. Memphis coming off of a buy, a much needed buy. Look, I think that they're a little undervalued in the market because they lost one of the most improbable games of the season to Houston. Onside kicks, backup kickers. They followed that game up. They were up three scores at ECU. They lost a quadruple overtime. Then they go to Tulane in an awful spot after two collapses. They find themselves down 35 nothing before half. They made a big rally in the second half, but just deflating three-week stretch. They needed this buy. And as you mentioned, Seth Hennigan leads a, you know, a, an offense that wants to pass it, that is more successful passing it, and that's how you attack this UCF team. Again, similar to ECU with Holt Nailers, who was able to have success against UCF. So I think it's a good matchup and a good spot. I like the Tigers. Uh, and by the way, over the past 10 years, Memphis is a perfect 5-0 and against the spread as a home dog against ranked opponents. They always seem to get one of these at home at the Liberty Bowl against a ranked team. They beat UCLA, Houston, Ole Miss, SMU. Their only outright loss. And all those came uh, outright wins. They run four of those as an underdog. Their only outright loss came against UCF by one back in 2019. All right, let's get to what you've all been waiting for. That's our marquee games of the day. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 10. We got four. Let's start with the biggest one. Tennessee at Georgia. Here, it just means more. Georgia Eight-point favorite over under 66 and a half. This game will obviously decide the division, decide who goes to the SEC championship game, potentially decide who goes to the college football playoff. For what it's worth, in AP one versus two matchups over the past 50 years, we've only seen 10 with a spread of over seven. The underdog in those 10 matchups is eight and two against the spread and six. And seven and three straight up, stunningly. So, uh, you know, when I look at this game, I think everyone knows what I'm going to say. I love Tennessee. I've been higher than them in the market all year. I have a 14 to one to win the division. I'm not hedging it. Um, this, I, I when I look at Georgia's defense, their all their metrics obviously look good, but who have they played? Uh, they haven't, they haven't faced a competent passing offense since Week One against Oregon, which was Bo Nix. Who moved the ball, by the way? We talked about that after that game. Good success rate. Bo Nick's season in full effect. 
but it was their first game together. New offense, all, all these new pieces. Like, I don't really take that much from that game. I've seen cracks in the Georgia defense. Kent State moved the ball. Even Missouri had success moving the ball. Florida just threw for 300, a completely incompetent passing offense. Now they're dealing with some injuries. Nolan Smith, who wasn't having a great year, he's out. Carter, their great defensive lineman. Not only is he you know, on a limited snap count, I don't know if he'll be able to get in the game. Georgia likes to rotate a lot of these defensive linemen. They're not going to be able to do that against Tennessee. Very intriguing matchup, Georgia defense versus Tennessee offense. But I don't think this Georgia defense is, is ready for what's about to hit them. It is the number one EPA per play offense on first downs versus the number one defense. But like I said, Georgia hasn't faced a competent offense all year since that opening game. Meanwhile, Tennessee has shredded four top 20 defenses. Shredded. And now you add one of the best receivers in college football as a full go in Cedric Tillman, who is a big-time receiver in a, a big-game receiver. Had 10 catches for 200 yards against the elite historic Georgia defense last year. Uh, I love – I don't think the market is still caught up Dallas to, to Tennessee. I think it's going to happen again. Could be wrong. But um, this is too many points for me. I will be on the balls, Rocky top. And, uh, yeah, to the moon we go with Tennessee. Wish that I was on old Rocky top down in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky top. Ain't no telephone bill. I'm backing Georgia. I disagree completely. Oh, my God. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I am going to be – I'm going to be large on Georgia. It's just a matter of, listen. You said every, last week you were done. I know, I know. And the number was supposed to be 10. All right. And it's taken a lot of hits. And it's seven. Is I'm targeting seven as a buy. The problem is, is all these books are getting down to seven and a half and it's getting gobbled up. And I expect major, major money on Tennessee. I mean, this is the cat's meow. Everybody wants a piece of the volunteers right now. And I would venture out to say that if you think that they're going to win this game, in Georgia's house, as an underdog, you should go out and buy the national championship futures. Because if they do beat this team at this margin on the road, they're going to win the national title, period. I mean, you've proven enough. So, you know, and by the way, they have advantages over Alabama in the potential SEC championship game. So if you think they win this game, I would take them to win the national title. Now, I'm not. And I need, you know, I'll spend an extra minute here talking about how I broke down, how I got to this conclusion this is the biggest game of the weekend by far. Biggest game of the year. Solving the Tennessee offense is not easy. Everybody's having problems with it. The offense is based on stretching the field as wide as possible and then running a veered shoot between the tackles. So having a quarterback to you know scramble for first downs also helps. But how do you defend that? And so I did a lot of research. Like I went and listened to Pat Narduzzi talk about how to defend Tennessee's defense because he's seen it a couple of times with Josh Heupel. He's seen it at UCF. And he spoke very technical about how to do this. Now, if you go before I get to what Narduzzi said, Alabama tried a thing called man free. And this is where you're essentially trying to clog the crossing routes and you're going to let the corners go one on one. Alabama got burned over and over on the outside. Jalen Hyatt is still running. Georgia has the three best corner combination as possible in the country. Javon Bullard, Tyke Smith and Keely Ringo have combined. Those three corners have combined for only allow 18 yards after catch when targeted 22 times in man coverage and man coverage is what you're going to get here. And they're going to be expected to go one-on-one. -on -one. These two, these corners are going to go one-on-one -on, -one on the outside 
while you're going to get Bullard, who has allowed just one catch this season and man coverage in the slot corner. Who lines up in the slot corner? Jalen Hyatt. So Jalen Hyatt's going to line up in the slot, and he's drawing the best slot coverage defender, one of the best in the nation. So if they can play one-on-one against Jalen Hyatt, if they can play one-on-one against Tillman and, and Ramel Keaton on the outside, then that means that they can load the box and spy on Hooker for those attempts where he's running, you know, whatever, if he's running the veer, the RPO, or if he's going to scramble. And because Smith and Ringo are able to limit Cedric Tillman and Keaton uh, and Bullard's able to limit Hyatt, that extra man in the box is going to stop those extra first downs that Hendon Hooker is going to get. And so I go back to what Narduzzi said. Narduzzi said the only way to beat Tennessee, because by the way, Pitt held them to their lowest regulation amount all season, 27 points. That's it. And what he said was, is you have to run quarters. And what quarters is, is it's a man defense, but it's from 10 to 20 yards out. It's not press. It's not press coverage. It's back and it's man. And you say, well, why is that important? Because Jalen Hyatt generally hears the snap. He gets off the ball and then he's got one or two routes. It's an option for him too. The RPO is not just for running backs and for Hendon Hooker. It's for Jalen Hyatt to pick his route. And the problem with quarters is when Jalen Hyatt comes off the line of scrimmage, he can't recognize what the defense is 10 to 15 yards down the field because they're playing man in quarters, which is downfield. So huge advantages there that Georgia actually adopts. Georgia is the same aggressive defense that Pitt is. Georgia runs a lot of the same tendencies that they do. I expect they're going to run quarters to confuse the wide receivers after the snap. Now on the other side of the ball, and so stuck, do I think Tennessee is going to score? Yes. Do I think they're going to score a lot? Yes. Do I think they're going to get held to maybe 27 like Pitt did? Yeah, I do. With these three corners, people are not looking at how they have absolutely shut people down in man coverage, which is what Georgia's going to run. All right, now on the other side. Yeah, but they've they've shut down. They've played. They've played. uh, They didn't play. They played uh, Sanford, South Carolina, Kent State, Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Florida. After the opener, not one above average passing offense, yet alone the best passing offense in the country that now adds one of the best receivers in the country. So, of course, their stats are going to be off the charts. But but this this Georgia defense to me is just like Kent State putting up 22 and moving the ball on you all day. Yeah, I mean, look at Kent State in the Mac. They can't even win a game in the Mac. Um, Just there's cracks here. They haven't played any competent passing offenses since the opener. This and look, they don't get any pressure this year. And now Nolan Smith's gone. They're 127th in adjusted sack rate. Can't get any pressure. But they and don't try. I, I, That's the whole thing. People are like, they don't have any They don't have any pass rush. They only send three and they use the spy in a delayed blitz scenario. And they're still, yeah, but they're not getting, they're not getting anything. Like the hooker's going to be untouched this entire game. And this secondary and this defense, which lost, you know, 15 pros has not come close to facing they basically played Little Sisters of the Poor offenses for the past seven weeks, and now all of a sudden you're going up against a juggernaut, whereas Tennessee has played four top 20 defenses and put up 50 every time. Um, the, the one the one they didn't, which is a good point, but schematically with Pitt, and Pitt's defense has been dreadful since. But adding, to, I think adding Tillman is a, is a game changer for this offense. The other side of the ball, I do think that Georgia's going to move it, but you have to throw on Tennessee. Yeah. But like, and I think their tight ends are going to have a big day. The tight ends, you know, when they played a couple of the, you know, Latu and Bartholomew, the premier tight ends have big days. Yeah, the tight ends are going to have big days for Georgia. But 
Um, the receivers aren't great. They're banged up. Um, they have also have red zone issues on offense. That's big because Tennessee plays like a bend, don't break. Like you can throw short pass. I'm sure Georgia was short pass in the death all day, but Tennessee holds them to field goals here. It's all they need to do. So, okay. But see if you agree with me on this side of the ball, it sounds like you do, right? So on the other side of the ball, nobody on Tennessee is stopping Brock Bowers at all. And you know what? If you double coverage them, which I, I'm not sure is going to happen or if they can even do that because of how much Brock Bowers moves around, uh, it, he's just impossible to defend. You're right. They've got another tight end that's as big of a house who's doing pen blocking and just being a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, Tennessee does not have a single defensive player ranked in the top 200 in individual coverage. They don't have a single player in the top 200 in slot coverage and where does brock bowers line up 141 times from the slot 68 snaps at the line and 21 is a whiteout. and that doesn't mention the fact that georgia goes heavy motion and when i heard georgia goes heavy motion that really triggered something with me the key to stressing the tennessee defense was laid out by florida they used heavy motion and counter that's all they did with with anthony richardson trying to get a read pre-snap and then counter uh post-snap and if anthony richardson can read this defense and get the cover and have like this monster comeback in, you know, on Tennessee's home turf, Georgia's going to be able to do the same. Tennessee doesn't have one single defender that can stop Brock Bowers, no matter if he's an H-back, a running back, a tight, it doesn't matter where he lines up. They're not going to be able to stop him. And of course, if they have drives to get past the 40, like I said, Georgia right now, 97.8% in red zone. They've scored 46 of 47 trips. So to me, this is Georgia all the way. The biggest handicap you can hear Will Tyke Smith and Keely Ringo have success on the outside playing corners and man and man-to-man one-on-one coverage while Javon Buller tries to shut down Jalen Hyde on the inside. It's the handicap on the game. And uh I, I think Georgia will be highly successful on defense and confusing Hendon Hooker. And on the other side, I don't see Georgia getting stopped. So from a market perspective, you agree with me that do you think this number is going to seven? Like, would you buy Tennessee at eight? Because if you're Georgia, you're waiting to get seven. I think every person in the world that's been waiting on Georgia is waiting for a seven. If you're Tennessee, would you suggest that people buy it now? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not going to get a 10, and I no. make it five. Uh, I've been on Tennessee the entire year, every game, and they just cover every game. So I'm eventually you're going to be right fading them, but uh, <laughs> the I'm way ahead on the market, and eventually, yeah, they're not going to cover. But, yeah, I make it five, and I might still be too low on Tennessee's offense with Tillman back. And yeah, I I don't think from watching this Georgia defense, there's just cracks and you can't really get, there's not a lot of data against any competent offenses. I got to look at Colin Schley throwing the ball on them um, (laughs) and moving the ball up and down the field. So yeah, there's cracks here. Obviously their secondary grades out elite. They're playing like Auburn's passing offense and Missouri's passing offense. Um, But, and you know, and I know that Tennessee has been tested. They played ranked teams like five weeks in a row and, they cover by, you know, 10 points every game. The one game they didn't cover is when you were on them against Florida. <laughs> so, yeah, I I love Tennessee here. I I also have questions about the Georgia offense, and they're not going to run the ball here. They're going to be able to throw their tight ends a lot. I think they're going to score. It's not the handicap here for me. This is just like this is just like the Alabama game. And the other, don't be sharp money, people that haven't adjusted their numbers enough yet, just like there was against Alabama might be late money gets the nine it's the same exact scenario as the alabama game 90 percent of every person you know 90 percent of the betting public is on tennessee I, I don't care i'm with them just like the alabama game 
And uh, I think it goes down to the wire. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But hopefully they went out right for the division future. Should be a good one. We'll also talk about it more on Big Bets on Campus Live, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Saturday, presented by BetMGM. We'll tweet out the link with myself, Colin, and Brett McMurphy. All right, let's move on to the next marquee game. Texas at Kansas State. Kansas State, two-and-a-half-point underdog here at home. Adrian Martinez might play. They say he's practicing. If he's healthy, he'll go. I don't care. This is all Texas for me. Uh, great spot off of a bye. Kansas State off of the biggest shutout win over a top 10 AP opponent in the past 50 years. But I think that said more about the fraudulent Oklahoma State team that was also dealing with a ton of injuries. Oklahoma State can't defend the run, can't run the ball. Texas can do both. That's huge against Kansas State. Texas has also been extremely unlucky. This is a team that really a couple bounces, they're undefeated. And you're talking about them as uh, a potential college football participant. Excuse me, let's say again. A potential college football playoff participant. I mean, if you look at their losses, they blow a big lead to Oklahoma State when, you know, bad turnover luck. They were 14 to nothing in penalties. They blow a big lead to Texas Tech with uh, a fumble by B. John Robinson. Bad turnover luck there. They lose in overtime. And then, you know, they lose on a last second field goal to Alabama after both of their quarterbacks got hurt in the game. So, yeah, this Texas team is undervalued. I think they're potentially a top five team in the country. They just can't uh, buy a break in all these high variance stats, the turnovers. And so I, I think they're due after a bye to get some breaks here. It's a great spot. And I think it's a good matchup. Give me Hook'em on the road. Anything three or better for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have an opinion on the side because it's really all about Will Howard versus Adrian Martinez whenever that news is going to come out, which may be – we might not know until the first snap of the game. And Texas is sixth in success rate against the run. They're top 25 in line yards on defense. And without Martinez, this becomes a defense that can just key off of Deuce Vaughn and dare Will Howard to beat him. I wouldn't want to have my money in that scenario whatsoever. Now, I make Kansas State minus two, but that is with Adrian Martinez. Uh, and it's just not where the number is right now. And if he plays, then maybe a Kansas State money line comes in. But I really got to have confirmation from Adrian Martinez. Now, I think... I believe I'm going to be playing the under. Uh, this is just a, I mean, it, for me, it's tough to back Texas as a road favorite. They've had some issues on the road. The Texas Tech game, I mean, they just have not done well. Uh, second half of games have killed them, Oklahoma State. And the Horns have won just once in the last six tries on the road. Um, you know, and I think they've won once in the last 15 years in Manhattan. Now, not that any of those games have anything to do with this game. But it's been a struggle bus. I do like the under in this game. 15-mile-an-hour crosswinds. I don't expect any passing coming out of Kansas State whatsoever. Texas State has a good rush defense. If Texas stumbles on offense like they have been on the road, to me it's an underplay. 55, the biggest key number to get. Yeah, Texas better running the ball. Kansas State worse at defending the run. Texas better at defending the run. Kansas, their offense revolves around the run with the wins too. And the spot, I think this is Texas, Texas, Texas. All right, let's go back to the SEC. Another big game here, Alabama at LSU. LSU is a 13-and-a-half-point home dog over under 56-and-a-half. This game also has massive SEC division implications. LSU actually controls its own destiny in the division. Um, I think you love Alabama here, so I'll let you make your case. I do. I do. I uh, did a full write-up for action, so you guys can go read it there. But the biggest factor in this game is the return of Eli Ricks. 
Mississippi State targeted him nine times last week. Uh, Rick's was first start of the season, fully healthy. Mississippi State targeted him nine times, went right after him, and, and, he, and all those were in man coverage. One catch. Rick's allowed one catch and recorded four pass breakups. J- he was putting Mississippi State receivers on an island. And so now Eli Rick's at corner gets to go up against the team he transferred from in LSU, and he gets a one-on-one matchup with Kayshawn Booty. And if Booty is put on Rick's, you know, Rick's Island, which is what I've been calling it, then this allows the Bama defense to load the box and stop the zone read dual threat runs of Jaden Daniels, which he's been on fire the last two games. Like I took LSU against Tennessee because I thought that what we're seeing out of Jaden Daniels last two games would have been there. Then Brian Kelly is finally getting the consistency that he wants. But if Alabama is able to lock Booty down in one-on-one coverage with Eli Ricks, then they're going to be able to have an extra man in the box. And that's going to be huge against Jaden Daniels. So I know that Al- that Alabama, you know, went up against KJ Jefferson. It's a different animal as a dual threat, but Alabama limited KJ to just uh, just two yards per rush. And if you take out a twenty yard scramble by Hendon Hooker, he averages three yards per rush against Alabama also. So when you go to the other side of the ball, LSU has an excellent pass rush. Pass rush, but are you going to get a finger on Bryce Young? The numbers for him in pressure to sack ratio are crazy. Last year, 15% pressure to sack ratio, right? So if you get 100 pressures, it ended up in 15 sacks. Right now, that has plummeted down to 10%. So a 5% drop. And when you watch Bryce Young move, no one can touch him. No one can get a hand on him. It's like he knows, he just has some ability to know where exactly where every defender is on the field. Uh, and I think you know a lot of people say, well, where's the explosiveness on the wide receivers? The secondary for LSU is not good. They're 91st in coverage. It's a real weakness. I think Bryce Young is going to exploit that, but who's going to do it? We do have, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks, Kobe Prentice. They're both over two yards per route run. But the return of Tyler Harrell last week, he had a catch for 12 yards. This is the explosive piece that Alabama needs to separate themselves from the sixth team in the college football playoff ranking back up to national title contender. Because this is a transfer of Tyler Harrell that came in from Louisville and he was 2.9 yards per route run. He would easily be the most explosive target that Alabama has if he can play anywhere near what he played like in Louisville last year. So that is the plan. His name was dropped in the presser this week saying he's got to get some targets. So if he's fully healthy and he can perform like he did at Louisville, LSU's secondary is in trouble. So I love Alabama on both sides of the ball. I would lay it at 13, 13 and a half. I'd stop at 14. Uh, I disagree. We might disagree on every game today, but that maybe that's probably a good thing for you. I'm, I'm on a 67 and 27 run, so I'm due to lose about 28 games in a row. I, I, you know, I might not play LSU, but what you're you're saying are the ifs, which I agree with. If they come to fruition, like the I've watched Bama this year, and their defense has holes. You know, they're not getting as much pressure as you know I would have thought. Their secondary also has been exploited at times. You know, obviously Tennessee shredded them, but Tennessee shreds everybody. But like Texas A&M's backup quarterback moving the ball on them. I, I just haven't been that impressed with the defense. And it's mainly the corners. You know, you lose two corners to the NFL and there's been holes there. Now, if Eli Ricks, who was, you know, a potential first round draft pick in the future, who played really well at Mississippi State, his emergence and his, you know, now he's starting. He was dealing with an injury and Saban, you know, wasn't, he said he wasn't, you know, caught up on the defense yet. Saban obviously was comfortable enough to put him in. If he's now all the way back and understands the D, that's a huge upgrade for Alabama. I don't know, but I just, I'm kind of hesitant to just say, all right, Ricks is back and he's going to be elite because 
every cornerback who's ever played for Alabama shuts down the leech offense. Like they, they just score zero points every single year, which is my only hesitation there. And then the other side, you mentioned Tyler Howard. Yes, they that's the missing piece. They because they're receivers, they're just missing explosive weapons on the outside. Now, Young's elusiveness and mobility will be a huge factor here. And that's basically what's keeping the offense humming when they're playing defenses that can get pressure because the offensive line has also been a bit disappointing. Yep. So yeah, if he is, you know, that missing piece for the explosiveness factor, which is missing, those are the two things that like Alabama has been missing, right? Their, their offensive line can get, can build a little more continuity, but it's like Ricks as a shutdown corner and then the explosive receiver and like you're you're potentially like adding them as like trade or free agent acquisitions. So if they, you, you could see both of them come to fruition this week. And then this is Alabama all the way. I just can't get to this number yet. Cause I, I do have some hesitations with Alabama, but LSU, you know, their offenses looked a lot better of late, but who have they done it against? Right. That's what gives me pause with Jaden Daniels and his passing attack. It's like, you know, kumbaya, everything's great with the receivers, but you played Florida, whose defense is bad. And then you played Ole Miss, you know, whose defense is bad. This is a big step up in class just from a talent perspective. For what it's worth, I don't know what this is with Alabama. Maybe it's the penalties, which are definitely a concern. Maybe they cleaned some of that off, off the bye. And all, the other thing I should mention is that we did anticipate LSU improving as the year goes on under Brian Kelly. For what it's worth, Brian Kelly is just thrived in this spot if uh, if you're in the trends he's 37 14 and 2 against the spread that's over that's 73 percent as an underdog or favorite of less than a field goal he's the most profitable coach over the past 30 years uh, over 500 coaches in that scenario but, but what's more concerning to me is just alabama on the road the past two seasons true road games you know they go to tennessee they lose outright as nine point favorites they did cover against Arkansas, pulled away late. They won by one as 20-point favorites at Texas earlier this year. They won by two as 20-point favorites against Auburn last year. They obviously crushed Mississippi State. They lost as 20-point underdogs almost outright at Texas A&M. And then they won by two as 14-point favorites at Florida. I mean, five of those seven games – and they're double-digit favorites in all of them. They either lost outright or they were decided by fewer than three points. Yeah, it's a small sample size. But is it the – they've had, like, penalty issues. And on the road, those are – that's what I – mean, you've got – look at that Tennessee game. What did they have, 13 penalties for 100 yards? So we'll see if they can clean some of that up. But they've – Alabama's just played a lot of really close, true road games of late. Uh, especially if you, if you throw out that Mississippi State game. They're all, like, in jeopardy towards the end, and they always beat Mississippi State. So we'll see who – cleaned up more over the bye week because both teams are coming off of, off of a bye. But, you know, it's if you had to pick one coach to side with after a bye, even though Kelly's been successful in the spot, you would obviously choose Saban. So we'll see. A very fascinating game uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but let's move on to our final marquee game of the day. Clemson at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, this line's been floating between like three and a half and four and a half all week. Over under is crashing i don't know if it's still crashing was crashing because there's weather wind i don't know if there's rain also but uh this total has come down because of weather um i'll let you go first here what do you got 
Yeah, it looks like a real minimal, like less than 10% chance of, of precipitation. There's going to be 20 mile an hour sustained winds at Notre Dame Stadium. It's kind of a diagonal pattern from the corner of one end zone to the other. So not really a true like sideline to sideline cross orientation. Both of these teams last played Syracuse. So it's easy to kind of pivot to those box scores and try to make a deduction on who's going to win this game. Notre Dame outgained Syracuse on the ground by two yards per play. But, you know, Sean Tucker was limited. Garrett Schrader was kept out of the second half with injury. And then Notre Dame's running back, Audric Estime, has really kind of separated himself from the other two running backs, 20 carries for 123 yards and two TDs. Uh, but there was zero passing game there for Drew Pine. Um, and, and a healthy Schrader torched the Clemson defense on the ground. Clemson ran wild on the Syracuse defense also. Will Shipley went 172 yards and two, t- two TDs. And DJ Uyunglele was passed by Cade Klubnick in the game, but we're expecting DJ to start here. So how does that line up for how I look at this? Both of these teams have a very heavy rush rate, which kind of takes that wind, the total like crashing down. Does that really matter? Like with the wind and everything, because it's two teams that prefer to run like 56 to yeah, 50%. So by far Clemson has the advantages when it comes to stopping the rush. So for that, I would lean to the Clemson side, even though I make this Clemson minus three, I'm having a hard time being sold on Notre Dame, stopping the ground attack or being, you know, uh, or stopping an explosive pass. The number, I think the number's correct. Uh, I'd rather much hit a depressed over with sustained 20 mile an hour winds when this is just a ground game anyways. I mean, that formula wasn't going to change no matter what the weather was. Give me some precip that probably might help with some angles and some people slipping and stuff. But I have no worries about DJ's ball in flight. He's got one of the strongest arms in all of college football. So I will let the, you know, the market continue to bash on this total because they think the weather is going to be terrible when it was going to be a ground game the whole way anyways, with throws to the tight end. So, and then I'm going to fire on the over. Uh, I, I bet Notre Dame here for four and a half. I'd still bet at three. I make the sign two somehow. I was shocked I did, but not really because I think Clemson is a fraud. I, I dug into Clemson's numbers and like, wait, by the way, Notre Dame's defense. Yeah. They've been gashed at times on the run. I really like what they did finally last week. They started blitzing a ton, which they haven't been doing this year. I think they're just, they're going to load the box, bring a ton of pressure and say, beat us by throwing the ball in these crosswinds. Uh, the Clemson offense has been lucky on late downs. And I, I don't trust DJU as much as everyone has fallen in love with them. Uh, and the Clemson defense is what is a mystery to me. They aren't elite up front. Like they don't grade out elite. What what are the, like their line yards are like 60th and all of their rush defense numbers. I don't know if they just haven't been able to build continuity because of injuries, but this isn't a dominant unit. And so it's, it's very puzzling because all the talent is there. So yeah, I think Clemson is right. And, uh, I think Notre Dame is going to win this game outright. And uh, I don't disagree with your take on like, okay, how these teams want to move the ball and the weather might not impact it that much. But uh, yeah, line value alone in this Clemson team has been kind of just, you know, like you go back to that Florida State game. They were just, Florida State was moving up and down the field. Wake Forest should have won that game. They were moving up and down the field. It's, yeah, I th- I think Clemson's ripe for the picking here, and the college football gods are going to knock them out of the college football playoff. Let's go Irish. <laughs> All right, let's move on to – yeah, I, you can't quit Tennessee fades. I can't quit Clemson fades. Hopefully uh, I can get to the window this week. 
All right, let's get to the rundown. Let's go through five other games quickly. I think we're going to disagree again here because Air Force at Army in Arlington, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, Saturday morning. Uh, I think I saw you talking in Slack about this. You're going to tell us to bet the over in a service academy game again. Listen, Mike Ionello over on the one of these One of these years, you're going to be right about fading Tennessee. And what if it happens on the same weekend? And a service academy over, which are like 40. Unders are like 44 and 16 over the last 20 years. But go ahead. Listen. <laughs> for, all of you out with a straight face. for all of you out there listening, put that trend. Go out in your backyard and bury, dig a hole up and throw the trend in the hole and then bury it. All right? Because that trend started capturing when totals were like in the 50s and then in the high 40s. We're at 40 and a half. That's a sneeze, and you're over that. Iowa goes over that number. San Diego State goes over that number. I understand that they play at a completely slow pace, and I understand that you want to kick out the stuff rate numbers and all that stuff, but, you know, Army's dead last in stuff rate. They cannot fill the A, B, and C gap. They cannot keep contained. This is a really bad defense uh, to go up against what Air Force wants to do. I love the over. I'm going to take the over because I think both offenses are going to have are just going to roll. I, I know we – we kick out the projections, like I said, uh, but I would play it at 40 and a half. Army's dead last is stuff, right? They're 130th in defensive rushing success rate. Air Force and Army are both over 30 seconds per play, but Army's 130th in standard down success rate. That means Air Force is going to have first downs all day. These teams are 94th and 110th in defensive finishing drives. Any drive that gets past the 40 is a touchdown. More touchdowns and field goals. And Jamel Jones, the new quarterback for Army, like he had five rushing touchdowns in his last two starts for injured Tyre Tyler. Jones created six missed tackles by himself as a quarterback against the ULM defense, which is impressive because he's starting always with full fullback handoff, right? With fullback dive. You're creating six missed tackles after you're trying to fake a fullback dive. So, you know, bring it on, Mike Ionello and the G5 podcast. This thing's going over. I'll take the 40 and a half, go over. Easy. This is easy. This, these overs in these service academies. There's a big trend. It's going to be like 23 in a row. Uh, I I honestly disagree. I make them all. I make them all like thirty three. Make a case and, for his defense. I mean, here's the thing: you like every time these teams, you can't, but they they play other. They don't play other triple options. Like so, they have issues, but they get the practice against the triple option every day. The triple option has advantages when you run it because teams aren't used to it. But when you're going up against another triple option team they get to they know you know they have the discipline they understand the reads like you know they, so that's why a lot of times these teams can't move it i would lean i think army's run defense is a lot worse i would lean air force but i don't like playing points in these games so uh, army's defense is garbage the front seven yeah, but they will be better against a, a service game i'm just telling you we'll see uh all right move on to our next game again we're probably going to disagree on this one texas tech at tcu tcu eight and a half point favorite over under 69 and a half uh i already played texas tech i was waiting for 10 it got hit so that's i don't think that's coming uh you can this is basically west virginia again same handicap um except texas tech has a more competent defense um i don't think tcu is going to get stops i think their defense is awful and it's also overrated in the fact that their metrics you know include a bunch of backup quarterbacks like and i saw people arguing on twitter like yeah but they were up 25 to 10 against oklahoma already yeah they probably would have won that game 
but they got three quarters of defensive metrics playing against Davis Bevel and like the Wildcat because he can't complete a pass. Uh, numbers too high. Big, big backdoor risk to Texas Tech will score here. Um, TCU is still on a he's a bad spot too. Like I, the one thing that scares me, I mean, they're just this is like their sixth straight huge game. The one thing that scares me is like they got disrespected in the college football playoff rankings, but maybe they want to run it up, but I don't think they'll be able to. They can't get stops. It's uh, guns up, baby. Red Raiders for me. I did a full preview at Action Network. I would suggest everybody to go to read that, but 69 is your key number. I took an under here, all the reasons why in the article. Um, but um seems like totals on TCU were 69 every single week, and it comes down to the wire. But, you know, go and read the article. TCU is uh, struggling. They're having periods in games where they're not being able to get any points up on the board. They look a little bit lost, and then, bam, there's 35 points in your face. So uh, I expect a little bit more of that. Pace does scare me a little bit with this total, but at the same time, the what these teams are doing in the red zone and offensive finishing drives is not always painting out into touchdowns. And, you know, really it's all about explosive plays and what you could do with it. So go read it over at Action Network. I like the under at 69. We will see what Texas Tech does at quarterback. They might, you know, they said all three are going to play again yep. with Shuck, Smith, Morton. So that's uh, an interesting. You know why they say that? Like McGuire is like McGuire is out there like, well, he's he's the most talented. Kidley has said he's the most talented. He has the highest ceiling of all of them. But last week he was terrible. He played like a freshman, right? Five turnover worthy plays. So what that means is what Texas Tech is telling you is that we're going to play Baron Morton. If he sucks, we got Donovan Smith and Tyler Shum, right? So they're like yep, a yep. fallback plan for the freshman when the freshman has problems. Yeah, and you, you'll probably get a couple Smith packages of running. All right, before we continue... As a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee red line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Speaking of quarterback questions, UAB hosts UTSA. Yeah. Big revenge game from last year and a game that decided the division. UTSA won on like a tip touchdown. Again, they probably should have lost. This is a pick over under 52. This game is at 330 on stadium. Ew. Uh, I like <laughs> I'm writing this game up. I played UAB. I like UAB here. I'm assuming that Hopkins is going to play yeah. um, from everything that I've read. I need him to play here. The handicap for me is 
this UAB team, by the way, has been very unlucky. They have, and on the, on the flip side, UTSA, I think they're four and zero in conference. Three of the games have, three of their victories have come by one possession. UAB can exploit this UTSA defense. You need Hopkins to do it efficiently through the air, and UTSA wants to beat you through the air. And UAB has an excellent elite secondary. Do we finally agree here, Blazers? Yeah, yeah, we agree. Uh, the Dylan Hopkins first time of the podcast, I think <laughs> he made he made the trip uh, last week. Just didn't play. Um, yep. Brian Vincent came out and said on Monday he's day to day, no clear answer when he's coming back uh, on Saturday versus UTSA. Um, still dealing with concussion protocol. You think he would be out of that by now? Uh, and fun yeah, fact, especially since he traveled last week. That's a that's one of the signs that I think he's going to play because he traveled last week. Another full week. Yeah, I think he gets to go. And and then another fun fact is Jacob Zeno is actually from San Antonio, so it's uh it's a pretty big deal to him. And then, you know, I, I think we've bagged on this UTSA defense. They're almost dead last in tackling. They're outside the top 100 in coverage. If Dylan Hawkins is back, he's going to be able to just light fire on this defense, this UTSA defense. And then I don't see how UTSA is stopping what UAB can do on the ground. So um, a lot of factors for UAB. Now, from a market perspective, with Dylan Hopkins, this number should be UAB minus four. So sitting at pick right now, it opened up at two. I took it at two. I would take it now at pick. And then if we get the news, then it's going to steam and you got a great number. If not, I don't expect it to go the other way. And this is the kind of game where you're going to be able to get a piece of both sides. So I would bet UAB now and wait for the Hopkins news. Yeah, I agree. I think some variants, UTSA positive variants, UAB negative with injuries and close games and turnovers have created line value here. Good spot here to back the Blazers, who, by the way, <clears throat> over the past five seasons, they're 11-0 and against the spread at home following a loss, including 2-0 and this year. That's the best in the country. Uh, let's go to – let's talk some frauds. Oklahoma State <laughs> travels to Kansas. I love Kansas here. Probably my favorite bet. I won't – so maybe I'll save some of it. But, I mean – Oklahoma State could be without Spencer Sanders, which means Gundy's kid is starting at quarterback. He was shaking, literally shaking, before snaps last week. They, they were showing pictures of his hands before he was taking the snap. <laughs> um, they could be without their top two backs, top two of their top three receivers, uh, you know, three starters in the secondary, starting defensive tackle, their punter. This team is beat up on a brutal stretch after playing five high-profile Big 12 games all in the month of October. Now you're going to Kansas off of a bye, get healthier. Daniels might be back, but the offense has been fine with Bean. It's one of the most brilliant offensive staffs in college football. They don't give up negative plays. So much misdirection. It is fun to watch. And uh, I'm sure that they're going to have quite a few new wrinkles here that can exploit this Oklahoma state defense. That is just bad. There should be wide open guys all over the field for Kansas they're also looking to avenge an embarrassing 55-3 loss from last year. And more importantly, a win will give them bowl eligibility for the first time since 2008. You're going to get a good crowd here in a good spot against a beat-up Oklahoma State team. Give me Kansas, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, baby. Yeah, I don't know if I have the authority to talk on this one. I took Oklahoma State minus 3.5 on open because it's a game I projected oh, wow. Oklahoma State minus 7. With full strength. I watched the whole game of Oklahoma State getting taken out to the woodshed. I didn't think Spencer Sanders was beat up enough that he would miss this week. 
Um, you know, and I don't know why all these players were out there in a blowout. All these starters that my Gundy had out there in a blowout that no reason for them to be playing in the second half whatsoever. I am glad the under came through, but I thought there would be full health this week for Oklahoma State. Thought I could get ahead of the news with Spencer Sanders because I've got the game power rated at seven. SP Plus has got a power rated at seven. So, you know, stuck with a bad ticket. Now, if you're in this scenario, like if you're holding Oklahoma State two or three or three and a half, there's just nothing we can do that other than hope that Spencer Sanders is playing. If he's not playing, then you've got to play this live, um, you know, to try to get out of it. But that's the scenario we're in. And that's, the, you know, there's not a lot of examples where I'm hitting lines on Sunday. And on Thursday, I'm like, I took a bad number. It just doesn't happen. I mean, we track our CLV in the app, and I don't I don't care about CLV, but I'm generally never wrong on which side the line's going to go. In this case, because of injuries, I am. So I will uh, look to get out of this live. If Spencer Sanders is playing, I might let it ride, but I will look to play this live uh, if you got a bad number on Oklahoma State. <clears throat> I, I Little Birdie has told me that uh, there's a really good chance that Spencer Sanders doesn't play in in addition to eight starters. So there's a rumor he might not play the rest of the year. Yeah. So. Um I'd play Kansas up to minus two and a half for what it's worth. I think they win comfortably. All right. Uh let's uh one more here. Florida at AM. Florida plus three, plus three and a half. I'm on the Gators here. Three three or better. I think AM's cooked. Uh I don't know where this team is at mentally. Not being able to win that game last last week in a perfect spot told me all I needed to hear. And they've had multiple incidents of guys getting suspended. You have, you know, you've lost a bunch of offensive linemen for the year to injury. You've lost your best, most explosive player, your quarterback. The freshman did look good last week. We'll see if he can repeat that this week. There's some film on him now. And I know Florida dismissed their, you know, most talented defensive player, Brenton Cox, but, and he's has the most pressures. He's been a disappointment. He can't cover He's missed so many tackles. He's been bad at run D, and he, the team hates him. That's why he got dismissed. So I think it might actually be good for the locker room. And what can Florida do? Florida can run the ball. Florida averages 6.1 yards per carry, which leads the country. What can't Texas A&M do? Stop the run. They have not stopped anybody. What did uh, Ole Miss run for 400 last week? What is the most telling to me? And by the way, the only two FBS wins this Texas A&M team has which some people said was going to win the national title. Arkansas, again, they should have lost. They had a 100-yard fumble return, and then Arkansas missed a field goal. And Miami, and that win looked so much worse. Miami put up 400 yards. I'll gain them 400 to 264. I think the most telling thing is Miami averaged five yards a carry. My, against all other FBS teams, Miami averages 2.9 yards per carry. Miami ran all over Texas a Miami can't run on anybody. I, they just get, they're going to get gashed. I mean, they're, they're 90th in success rate, 90th in EPA per rush. This young defensive front can't stop. Their run fits are so bad. So good luck trying to cover uh, this Florida rush unit, who I, who I think is still going to try. Like they didn't, you know, their season, they're not, is not going anywhere, but they didn't have like huge high expectations. They fared well on the road. You know, they fought against Georgia. They fought against Tennessee. We're obviously way better than this Texas A&M team. Um, yeah, give me Florida here. Field goal or better. I think this Texas A&M team is cooked. That not winning that game last week is like so bad. I mean, they lost four in a row now. Where are they going? Like that, it's going to be hard to get up for this game. It's also a noon kick. Like this is Florida, Florida for me. I think it's interesting to see if the market's going to have support for Texas A&M at three. It's a game that you know I power rate at four. That was the open. We're sitting on three. Some three and a halves popped back up. 
I think in positive news for Texas A&M, Connor Wiegman's the best quarterback that they've had the entire year. Now it's taken him forever to get on the field. At least he doesn't have like, you know, Haynes King type turnover worthy plays where every chance that every time the ball snapped could be six the other way. Uh, there's two things that back your case, Stucky, and I'm going to be, I like them too. I mean, it's, I like Florida too. Wow, you're going to be on your boy. I, I, yeah, I think I'm going against, I mean, I'm getting off this train and, and the Gators are number one in the nation in rush explosiveness, number one in rush EPA. They're 11th in pass EPA and they're number one in the nation in standard downs explosiveness. That just tells you everything you need to know about Anthony Richardson lining up against this Texas A&M defense that frankly has problems stopping the run. Uh, they they have some pretty bad numbers and success rate against the run, second level. Even their tackling is 71st. I don't know what's happened to this defense other than losing Mike Elko and bringing in DJ Durkin. Um, that defense folded against Ole Miss, taking a lead into the third quarter last week. That really was kind of burned after losing that. He's playing nine straight games, just hands it off and just runs for 400 yards in your house if yeah. you've lost three straight. Florida's bad sign. Florida is the number one explosive team in the nation in standard downs. I love that aspect of this game. I don't like that Florida is 130, 130th and third down defense. So if Adam's ever going to convert a third and get a sustained drive, this might finally be it. May lead me to an over, but I'm with you, Stuck. I, Florida's going to be the way that I'm going to fire. Yeah, I would lean over. And, uh, yeah, Florida's defense is bad, but like Texas A&M's offense is one that their talent can like compete with. So, yeah, I mean, Texas A&M's going to score here, but I think Florida will as well. Yeah, uh, yeah I like the Gators. Uh, all right, let's uh, – before we get to some trash, I do want to plug our group of five guys that do a great job. Episode is already out. Make sure you check that out. Maybe – I haven't listened to the episode yet. i got to listen to it tonight. I don't know if they made fun of you. I don't know when the Slack exchange was for the Service Academy total. But really digestible episode every week. It's like under 40 minutes, and they do a great job. So make sure you check them out. Uh, let's get to some trash. What's that smell? It stinks. What do you mean? This trash. The sweet, sweet trash. The trash is a gold mine. Gold mine. Gold trash has been rolling. And uh, this week it can't go really bad because I only have two trash. People are going to be upset. I only have two. I only have two here. We're going to Club Lit. Uh, obviously, we're going back to Charlotte. Plus anything over two touchdowns. I think it's at 15, 16 now. I was waiting on 17. I don't think it's happening. But Charlotte... You know, rolled last week. Their offense is obviously really good. And look, they've played four games without Chris Reynolds finishing, and they've gotten blown out in all of them. Their results outside of the FIU game have been fine. They've covered uh, two of them, one outright. They're the only team in the country that's one outright as a 15-plus point underdog twice. And last week, new coaching staff, they got that bump, rejuvenated. Their defense actually looked alive. They made tackles, and they made some personnel changes. They put this kid, a new kid in at safety who played out of his mind. It was their best defensive back performance of the year. They made some changes up front. They also were aggressive. And, you know, they had an onside kick, a reverse in the kick return. They called a couple trick plays. I I love it. They're just playing loose. Club lit is back. I think they carry the momentum over here against the Western Kentucky team that I think is overrated. If you look back early in the season, they started off 3-1. and one. FIU was in disarray. They beat them 77-0. Hawaii, re- another rebuilding team, in disarray. They also beat Austin P uh, in a close game. Their stats from those two blowouts over Hawaii and FIU have improved since are skewing what this defensive profile looks like. They really missed D'Angelo Malone. 
Charlotte should be able to move the ball here. Western Kentucky will get its points for sure with their air raid. But um, yeah, it's, it's also a bad spot for Western Kentucky. They get blown out by North Texas last week. Pretty much ended their chances of getting to the conference championship game. Now you got to go on the road for a noon kick against Club Lit. Mm, no, we're back to the 49ers. Agree or disagree? I agree. I, I mean, it was a fluke win against UAB a couple of weeks ago for Western Kentucky for all of us that were watching with Dylan Hawkins going out and then the Zeno turnovers. My numbers last week said that Northern North Texas should have been like a one-point underdog to Western Kentucky, and I completely ignored it, and they blew them out. Now, Charlotte, on the other hand, when you go and look at the box score about what they did against Rice, I mean, it was it was highly impressive. 5.6 yards per rush on 43 carries. They only threw 20 times, but they completed 17 of 20 for 13.8. And, of course, you know, Chris Reynolds was amazing with five touchdowns. So when you go and look at what Western Kentucky can defend and cannot defend, they're not very good at defending the rush. They're outside the top 100 in line yards. And, you know, their strength of schedule defense is 100th. Um, you know, so there's a lot of holes on this defense here that Charlotte's going to be able Charlotte, don't look at their numbers because this is a rejuvenated offense. They finally got a win. They've had to deal with injuries. As Stucky said, Stucky backed him so many weeks and they don't, they're not going to a bowl, right? <laughs> they're two and seven. They can't make a bowl. So every game from here on out is uh, a chance to get in the club lit because you're not getting a postseason. So I completely agree with you. I, I've got this Western Kentucky fraud taste in my mouth. I didn't execute on it with North Texas. I didn't pay attention to my power ratings. My power ratings here say Charlotte plus 12. That means I'm firing at 14. Uh, all right. Good to know. For my last piece of trash, we're going with Virginia, who's a bad football team right now. Plus seven, plus seven and a half at home against North Carolina. Pretty bad spot for North Carolina. They're, you know, they – Won another big game last week. They got Wake on deck. Now you're going to Charlottesville. Potentially sleepy spot. But more importantly, Virginia, whose offense stinks. Brent Armstrong has regressed hard, mainly because he has no offensive line. He has no time to throw whatsoever. But he'll have that here against a UNC defense that is horrendous. They get no pressure. They can't stop anything. UNC is – and look, Virginia's defense, one of the most underrated units in the country. I'm surprised how well they've been playing. Um but their secondary is good. They don't give up a lot of explosive plays. They, their defense kept them in a lot of games. I mean, they lost by two to Miami. They lost by two to um, Syracuse. They'll fight. But I love Drake May. I think he's the best future pro playing college football right now at the quarterback position. He's going to score on this UAV, excuse me, this UVA defense. But I think UVA's offense is going to look Competent for once because the UNC defense is that bad. What has UNC done on the road? This is why they're, I mean, adjusted for opponent. They're the bottom 20 defense still. That's why they can't pull away on the road, even though Drake May is shredding everybody. UVA on the road, excuse me, why do I keep saying UNC on the road this year? 63 61. They won at App State. They gave up 650 yards. They won 35 28 at Georgia State, gave up 430 yards. They won 27-24 at Miami. Gave up 540 yards to Miami. How do you do that? And then they won 38-35 at Duke. Duke had 550 yards. It doesn't matter what offense they play, and especially on the road. They're going to move the ball. So Brennan Armstrong, these receivers, will actually have time to throw. They'll even be able to move it on the ground a little bit. Um, yeah, this is seven, seven and a half. It, this UNC team just can't get margin because they can't get stops. It's also a bad spot. Give me the who's. 
Yeah, and as far as the total goes, I project this at 59. You've seen a uh, kind of a a decrease in the number down to 60 and a half as we are here recording this. We'll see if it keeps going down. Virginia's gone over the total just once this season, and I mean, a lot of that comes back to their 128th in offensive finishing drives. They can't sustain drives. They have like three scoring opportunities a game. Can't stop with the havoc allowed, the turnovers, tackles were lost, everything's going wrong with this offense. Uh, so I can see a case being made that there could be an under here, but come on. It's a North Carolina game. <laughs> yeah. Third in the nation in offensive finishing drives. I mean, they're, they're just going to get a huge lead and Virginia's going to have to open it up, which is going to lead to defensive turnovers, to quick scores. Uh, but, you know, the pace is going to be there. This is 23 seconds, 25 seconds per play. Um, so I very much like the over here, but I'm just going to wait for 59. Don't be surprised if Virginia wins this game. North Carolina's going to lose one of these road games because they can't get stops eventually. Um, this might be it. a bad spot. All right, before we go three and out, San Diego State, Colin, your total, I think it's sitting at 47. They're home against UNLV. Big news here, UNLV should get Doug Brunkfield back at quarterback. They've been bad without him. We always talk about how much we love him. He's practicing. He should be starting. They're starting running backs questionable. They're starting receiver. Williams is also questionable. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, you have one minute. That's San Diego State total over or under? Listen, you got to take the over, all right, with, Blum, with Broomfield, Doug Brumfield coming back. That's a huge plus for UNLV. But I don't think people have accurately handicapped Jalen Madden for San Diego State. He is – just a running, like, I mean, he is a, he looks like a linebacker. He's fun running. to watch. He is a lot of fun to watch. It's made the San Diego State offense the image of what Jeff Heklinski asked for years ago, which was electric and vertical. Uh, there's nothing here on the defensive side. UNLV is 127th against the rush. They're going to get eaten up, line yards, bottom 10. And then when you go to the, you know, the UNLV side on offense, it's about challenging the San Diego State defense. They're 84th in line yards. So I like the over here. Uh, you know, I'm gonna it's been paying off. It's been paying off. It's great to see San Diego State scoring some points. We will see if you can stay hot after a cold start to the year. All right, before we get out of here, let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, let's start with first down. It's our favorite bet of the weekend. I'm gonna start with Auburn. I think this line has come down a little bit. I 12 and a half, I think it is now. I'd still like it there. 12 is fine. This Mississippi State team, we talk about all the time, off of a bye is not good for their offense. Over the past two years, yeah, off of a bye, they've scored zero, zero, nine, and seven total points. They get out of rhythm, and the timing gets thrown off. And this is also, by the way, your latest team with a new coach. Don't be shocked if we get another upset here. Cadillac Williams takes over for Auburn. I think it'll be a rejuvenated locker room. And this is a great matchup for Auburn. What can Auburn do? They can run the ball. What can they not do? They can't throw the ball. Mississippi State's run defense has been struggling all season. So I think Auburn will have success there. On the other side of the ball, what can Auburn do? Defend the pass. What can Auburn not do? Defend the run. Well, guess who never runs the ball? Mississippi State. I think there's a good matchup on both sides of the ball. You get the head coaching bump. You get Mississippi State off of a bye. By the way, Mike Leach, least profitable coach with 10-plus days between games over the past 30 years. The second is like Dana Holgerson. He's all these air raid offenses. Yeah, give me Auburn here, catching double digits. Yeah, I'm going to go with NC State right now at four. Uh, you got to get welcome and, and get into the MJ Morris era, three TDs against Virginia Tech. 
They just were not – they had no passing game whatsoever with Chambers in there. Now, Morris, you know, is young. He did have two, two turnover-worthy plays, and that aspect is going to be there throughout the end of the year. And there were four drops from his targets last week. I expect those numbers to improve with more reps that he gets with this offense. But the dimension that NC State has passing the ball is something they've been without since injury to Devin Leary. Wake has improved on the defensive side under Brad Lambert, especially from a havoc and pass rush perspective. But the offensive line for NC State is top 30 in protection. I don't think they're going to be able to get to MJ Morris and rattle him. And, you know, Wake's issue is giving up explosive plays, uh, especially in passing downs. They're 122nd in the nation of just letting things happen when opponents get long uh, yard, long distance to, to, to move the chains. And NC State's offense is top 40 in passing downs explosiveness. But, I mean, like I said, we got MJ Morris here. We got extra dimensions. That number should only increase. And the key is evading the Wake pass rush. Nine pressures and three sacks for Morris so far. Again, that's a freshman thing. I expect that to get better. And generally, NC State has struggled with Wake and Hartman running that mesh RPO. Uh, But, you know, the Wolfpack team is filling gaps. They're second in stuff rate in the nation. There should be enough for the defensive line to allow seven to drop into coverage and go against that mesh RPO and read Hartman. So I think the NC State defense finally steps up against Wake Forest. But the, you know, MJ Morris era with him at quarterback gives them a a throwing dimension that they haven't had. So I love NC State to uh, not just cover, to win outright. Yeah, I dug into this game a lot more this afternoon, and I I agree. I think there's value on the Wolfpack because of the upgrade at quarterback. This kid is a four-star, like highly recruited their future at quarterback. Their previous quarterback was you know a charleston southern option quarterback transfer it was just a stopgap I, I assume they did also didn't want to burn morris's red shirt but he was he looked great he gives them an added dimension to this it was a lifeless offense after leary got hurt so yeah i don't think the market's properly accounting for the upgrade at quarterback there uh, i agree i think there's value on nc state as a home dog all right let's move on to our favorite overdog. All right, I think you, we got to get you hot on these. I think I've had four in a row, and you've lost four in a row. This is like me and the Moneyline underdogs, which you got me hot now. We're both hot there. I, I think we got to start with you again this week. What do you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Alabama. Like I stated earlier, there's certainly a theme in the SEC games this weekend, and it's about what can you do at the corner and safety positions and playing one-on-one coverage. And Eli Ricks, you know, his return against Mississippi State, he was targeted nine times. He only allowed one catch. He had four pass breakups. That's going to allow him to go one-on-one against Kayshawn Booty. And if he's allowed to go one-on-one and shut down the most explosive option for the LSU offense, that means they're going to be able to load the box against the Jaden Daniels zonery that's been hot over the past two weeks. Alabama's defense is top 20 in stuff rate, so they should absolutely be able to stop Daniels and they've been dominating in passing downs too. So LSU does not want to get off schedule here. It's one of the things that the Alabama defense does best go to the other side of the ball. LSU is 91st in coverage. That's great for Bryce young. He's going to look to throw deep, hopefully have an explosive wide receiver and Tyler Harrell back there to kind of do what he did at Louisville last year. And, you know, LSU is prime on defense for getting beat deep. They're 120th on defense against the expo- uh, against the explosive pass and their 97th and defensive passing down success rate. So what that means is if Alabama is behind the chains on, you know, long downs and distances in second, third down, Bryce Young, his pressure to sack ratio has dropped tremendously from his Heisman run last year. He can evade any pass rush that LSU is able to generate. And then finally, there is a big gap in special teams and tackling between these two teams. Alabama's second in the nation in tackling, and LSU is 67th. That helps against explosive plays. And special teams SP+, 
Alabama's top 50 and LSU is 97. So there are intangibles outside of just offense and defense that say that Alabama is going to have a lot of success here. So give me the tide as an overdog. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas. Talked about this game earlier in the show. Basically what this boils down to, great spot. Texas off a bye. Kansas State off of that game where they humiliated uh, Oklahoma State, which I think just said more about Oklahoma State's injuries and their fraudulent nature. Texas can run the ball. Kansas State can't defend the run. Texas very good against the run. That's what Kansas State's offense is dependent upon. Throwing some wins here. Situational spot. I think you're getting value on Texas. A Longhorn team that easily could be undefeated if a couple bounces went their way. I think that happens this week. And they pick up a big road win to stay in the Big 12 race. All right. One final down, and that's third down, and that's our underdog money line. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Our favorite underdog money line. I, I'll kick things off. I'm going to go with Kansas. I already talked about this game earlier. Oklahoma State's a fraud. Don't need me to hear it. Say it again. Maybe by the time you hear this, they're a favorite. I, it's still fine. Anything under a field goal for me. Have a sneaky suspicion that Spencer Sanders isn't going to play. They're going to be out offensive linemen, running backs, wide receivers, many defensive starters, maybe a punter as well. They're beat up. Oklahoma State is off of a brutal stretch, played five marquee Big 12 games all in the month of October. Now you're going to a Kansas team off of a bye. Could get their starting cornerback back, their starting quarterback back. This is a brilliant offensive scheme that's going to cook up a lot of new wrinkles during the bye because not only are they trying to avenge a 55-3 to loss from last year, Kansas can get the bowl eligibility at home for the first time since 2008. This crowd is going to be great. Kansas is going to be up for this. Uh, I think Kansas wins comfortably. Rock chalk. So right, that, again. Oh, I've got – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're doing money line. Oh, yeah, you got to go. And then, of course, I'm about to wrap us all up. I got so excited about uh, fading Oklahoma State again. Um, Colin, do your favorite money line underdog? Well, while you're waving the wheat, I'm going to do a, a James Madison plus 235 and listen, it all rides on Todd Santillo, uh, his dual threat quarterback. His numbers are unbelievable. Go check him out, what he's been able to do uh, on the ground and through the air. Santino's uh, injury wasn't oblique. He suffered it during week seven. He was in pregame warmups against Marshall two weeks ago. He didn't play, and now he's had a bye week. And something that James Madison never does is close off their practices. They closed off their practices every day this week, not allowing anyone to know what's going to happen with Santino. And, you know, their head coach came out, I think, you know, afterwards and said, why would I let you guys know what we're doing at the quarterback position? That doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help us. But it's like <laughs> when you kind of overprotect what's going on with your practice, you're kind of giving away the fact of, you know, the like Jake Hayner happened with yeah, Jake Hayner. Absolutely. What happened with Fresno and Jake Hayner last week. So huge sandwich spot for Louisville here uh, on their schedule away from ACC play and everything that we said before, I'll apply here. The, the biggest difference in tackling with these two teams, because you have two dual threat quarterbacks, you have to be able to tackle one-on-one -on -one in space. James Madison, 17th in tackling. Louisville, a disastrous 123rd. One of these teams is disciplined. One of these teams isn't. James Madison, straight out win. Let's just hope Todd Santino's, uh, the oblique injury is not going to keep him from being under center. Yeah, I think all signs point to him playing, and I would agree. Jamie's run defense has been elite this year, which is important against Louisville, which is how they make 
They're living on the offensive end. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks to Colin for joining me as always. Thanks to our audio and video teams on the back end. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, that takes to our sponsor, BetMGM. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, leave a review, five-star review. We will do a bunch of giveaways next week. Um, make fun of Colin for fading uh, Tennessee again. Let's go Vols. Uh, yeah, we'll catch you 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Saturday morning, Big Bets on Campus Live. We'll do a recap episode, 959 Bad Beat for the voicemail. Thanks for listening as always. Let's keep it rolling through the end of the year. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.